Buzzard writes in, how can you play T.Y. Hilton in cash when he's facing Marcus Peters? It's a great question because Marcus Peters is a top 10 corner in the NFL. Any metric you want to look at, Marcus Peters usually appears in the top 10. And we did not like T.Y. Hilton in cash when he was facing Houston and A.J. Boy specifically. It was great seeing Pro Football Focus tweet out, you need to get to know A.J. Boy. Pro Football Focus's number one rated corner. Made my day seeing that come out two weeks after I talked about A.J. Boy and how A.J. Boy was the number one cornerback on playerprofiler.com's cornerback coverage rating. God, made my day. The reason we didn't like T.Y. Hilton and Cash against Houston is because not only was A.J. Boy our top-rated cover corner, but Houston can pressure the quarterback. The Colts have allowed 25 sacks this year that leads the NFL. You take a team with a horrendous pass-blocking offensive line and match it up with the Texans, who are top 10 in the league in quarterback pressures, that's worst-case scenario for all Colts wide receivers. You're better off looking elsewhere for value in cash games. The difference this week is that Kansas City is near the bottom of the league in sacks. The Chiefs have only sacked the quarterback eight times all year. One of the lowest pressure rates of any defense in the NFL. So even though the Colts give up an inordinate number of quarterback pressures and quarterback sacks, Justin Houston is not expected to play in Week 8, and without Justin Houston, the Kansas City Chiefs have a very difficult time pressuring the quarterback. So even though Marcus Peters will be doing whatever he can to slow down T.Y. Hilton, I don't think he'll be able to do enough. And what we talked about in the last show is that T.Y. Hilton is in the nexus of talent, situation, and opportunity the center of the high floor wide receiver Venn diagram. All the makings of a perfect cash game play, but we're not playing T.Y. Hilton in all our cash games. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup. Our DraftKings cash game does not feature T.Y. Hilton. The wide receivers in our number one cash game lineup for DraftKings, Mike Evans, Brandon Marshall, Larry Fitzgerald, Quincy Inunua. No T.Y. Hilton. But we are recommending T.Y. Hilton on FanDuel. We have T.Y. Hilton, Mike Evans, and Larry Fitzgerald in FanDuel cash games. T.Y. Hilton is not a player you overthink. You get him in your lineups in every format, and you absolutely play him in DFS. The debate is always, are you playing T.Y. Hilton in cash? The debate is never, are you playing T.Y. Hilton in GPPs? Because of course you're playing T.Y. Hilton in GPPs. You play your highest ceiling players in GPPs. T.Y. Hilton is one of the most talented wide receivers with one of the most talented quarterbacks, and he leads the league in targets. It's virtually impossible to conjure up a higher ceiling player than T.Y. Hilton right now. Another high ceiling player is Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas on New Orleans is officially the good Michael Thomas. I was wrong to call Michael Thomas on the Saints bad Michael Thomas in the offseason. He's clearly better than Mike Thomas on the Rams. Michael Thomas is showing up in a lot of player profilers recommended GPP lineups for both DraftKings and FanDuel. Because as much as I like Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas has been receiving more targets in recent weeks. His target share has officially moved into the top 60 in the league. Last week, 10 targets for 160 yards. He's breaking out all over the place. Michael Thomas has posted six straight double-digit fantasy games to start his career. 
He's been the most impressive rookie wide receiver in the NFL, and I didn't see it coming. I mean, who saw this coming? When was the last time a rookie wide receiver came into the league and started his career with six straight double-digit fantasy performances? Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com, or tweet us at rotounderworld. I am issuing a challenge. Find me the last rookie wide receiver to start his career with six games that have been as productive as Michael Thomas's first six games. It's going to be very hard to find. One may exist. I'm just not aware of it. He's the good Michael Thomas now. He's the very good Michael Thomas. Can we do this? Can we go back in time and change my nickname? Can I nickname him the very good Michael Thomas? And Mike Thomas from Southern Miss... Now with the Los Angeles Rams, can we just name him just good Michael Thomas? Because I still think he can be a good NFL player, but at least call Michael Thomas on the New Orleans Saints very good Michael Thomas. Man, was I fooled. Because Michael Thomas was not a dominant college receiver. He broke out at a late age, 21.5 years old, 24th percentile, and then he could never crack a 40% college dominator. I didn't understand why If his potential is so high in the NFL, why wasn't he more dominant in college? Why wasn't he more productive at an earlier age? Even his yards per reception in college was below average, 13.9 yards per reception. Michael Thomas's stature and his workout metrics look like an NFL slot receiver, but he's absolutely not a slot receiver. He's an outside NFL playmaker, and I did not see that coming. Very, very, very wrong. But at least I had him ranked ahead of Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard's value over stream at this very moment is exactly 0.0. Player profiler's value over stream metric measures a player's fantasy points per game above or below the replacement player at his position that you could likely find on the waiver wire in your fantasy league. That means Sterling Shepard is exactly replacement level at this point. And yet he was being drafted in the top five in most dynasty drafts over the summer. And while Michael Thomas was being picked at slot 100, Sterling Shepard was being selected at slot 74 on myfantasyleague.com. Fantasy gamers were drafting Sterling Shepard a full two rounds before they were drafting Michael Thomas, and that was a mistake because Sterling Shepard also broke out at a late age and wasn't particularly dominant at the college level. But at least Michael Thomas had great size-adjusted speed and size-adjusted agility. 67th percentile height-adjusted speed score, 79th percentile agility score, 1014 catch radius, 73rd percentile for Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas has the athletic profile of a highly productive NFL wide receiver. Sterling Shepard does not. Love how I change the argument when I'm wrong. Wait, let's arbitrarily compare Sterling Shepard and Michael Thomas so I can appear a little less wrong than I actually was. Michael Thomas reminds me of Tyrell Williams, another big athletic wide receiver who wasn't particularly productive in college, but who is translating his athleticism into big plays at the NFL level. With Tyrell Williams, I was touting him in July. I love Tyrell Williams because he also possesses an upper percentile catch radius, and all he needed was one injury ahead of him, and he would vault into the starting lineup with one of the better quarterbacks in the league, a quarterback who's not afraid to throw the ball downfield. That's what Tyrell Williams needed to be successful. Playing time tethered to a prolific downfield quarterback 
That was what was afforded to him, and he's been successful. should be no surprise that even though Michael Thomas and Tyrell Williams were not college mega producers, when given opportunity, heavy snaps with prolific passers at the NFL level, they've translated size, speed, big catch radius into double-digit performances weekly. In the case of Tyrell Williams, he's been a weak winner at times, multiple weeks posting over 20 fantasy points. In fact, all the wide receivers we've talked about today, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Thomas, Tyrell Williams, they all exist in that nexus of talent and situation and opportunity. Athletic players thrust into starting lineups with prolific quarterbacks. You can't say the same for Allen Robinson. That's why T.Y. Hilton has been a good cash game play, but Allen Robinson has not been. Allen Robinson is a GPP play only because he's tethered to a quarterback who struggles on a weekly basis. You can say the same for Will Fuller. Allen Robinson is a lot more similar to Will Fuller than he is to T.Y. Hilton right now. Allen Robinson and Will Fuller are boom-bust players because they're tethered to boom-bust quarterbacks. And you can't justify playing those players in cash games. I can't believe that the statement that Allen Robinson is a GPP-only play just tumbled from my lips, but it did. I said it because quarterback play clearly matters. The quarterback and the wide receiver have a symbiotic relationship. If the ball is thrown 10 feet over the head of the wide receiver, he's not going to be able to convert the catch. If a quarterback like Brock Osweiler refuses, outright refuses to throw the ball downfield, if the quarterback is a scared game manager, it's impossible for his wide receivers to be consistent fantasy producers. It's just not possible. When DeAndre Hopkins had a gunslinger like Brian Hoyer instead of Brock Osweiler, he was a top fantasy option. This year, he's not. When Blake Bortles was throwing the ball downfield with reckless abandon, Allen Robinson was a top fantasy producer. This year, Blake Bortles is not throwing the ball downfield with reckless abandon. Blake Bortles' tendencies this year are a lot more closely aligned with Brock Osweiler than they are Brian Hoyer. I can't believe we're in a place where a number of teams around the league are crying out for Brian Hoyer to rescue their skill position players from fantasy irrelevancy. But it's true. I was the first one to shoot off a warning flare in the air about Blake Bortles. Last year, I compared Blake Bortles to a music festival portable toilet. No, it was worse than that. I compared Blake Bortles to music festival portable toilet diarrhea, and I call him fake Bortles because he's not actually an NFL caliber quarterback. Everyone thought he was after last year, but he's not. We had Jake Seeley on the program, and he labeled me a Bortles hater, and I wore that label with pride. I said, of course, of course I don't have Blake Bortles in my top 12. Of course I would never think of Blake Bortles as a QB1 in fantasy. Blake Bortles' 2015 season was absolutely an outlier. I said it at the time, and now it's considered a fact. It's why I'm not running out to the extremes and anointing Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys' new franchise quarterback. Their franchise quarterback is on the roster, but his name isn't Dak Prescott. It's Tony Romo. Tony Romo with 149 career starts on his resume. Dak Prescott has six. We're staring down the path to being fooled by randomness. 
It's how it happens. Look at the Blake Bortles 2015 game log. Tampa Bay, 300 yards, four touchdowns. Houston, 330 yards and three touchdowns. Tennessee, 330 yards and five touchdowns. San Diego, 330 yards and two touchdowns. Indianapolis, 250 yards and three touchdowns. New Orleans, of course, 368 yards and four touchdowns. Of course, in many of those games, he also sprinkled in interceptions. Of course. But I just listed six incredibly impressive starts by Blake Bortles in 2015. That's the same number of starts that Dak Prescott has so far in 2016. And I think Dak Prescott looks like a good quarterback. If you string together six straight quality performances in the NFL, just like Michael Thomas stringing together six quality performances at the wide receiver position, Dak Prescott stringing together six impressive performances at the quarterback position is a strong indicator that these are good players. We have a strong indication now that Dak Prescott is a good quarterback now and is on a trajectory to one day be a great quarterback. Probably one day. We know, as a matter of fact, that Tony Romo is a great quarterback today. I can't believe there's even a debate about which quarterback the Dallas Cowboys should be starting if both are healthy. I can't believe it's a debate, but it's a real debate. Real people I respect in the sports media business are debating this. (laughs) I don't see the debate. I don't see it. Just based on sample size alone, I don't think there's a debate. But there is. Jonathan Bales. Graham Barfield, analytical minds I follow closely on Twitter, both came out and said, there's no way the Dallas Cowboys should consider benching Dak Prescott in favor of Tony Romo once Tony Romo is cleared to play. And I believe they've been fooled by randomness. Because as good as Dak Prescott has been thus far, I believe Tony Romo would be even better. Tony Romo has a season in which he threw for 4,400 yards, 26 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Another season with over 4,000 yards, over 30 touchdowns. And the season after that, 4,900 yards, 28 touchdowns. And then he followed up that season with two more seasons with more than 30 touchdowns and 10 or less interceptions. What? Now imagine that player is on the 2016 Dallas Cowboys with the best pass protection in the NFL, one of the best offensive lines in NFL history, and quality skill position players at every position. Running back, Ezekiel Elliott. Tight end, Jason Witten. Wide receiver, Cole Beasley. Terrence Williams. Soon to be Des Bryant. You put Tony Romo in that situation. I believe his statistics would vastly exceed Dak Prescott. Better passer rating, better QBR, better air yards per attempt, more fantasy points per drop back, everything. And to me, that's an obvious position to take. I thought that the Dak Prescott versus Tony Romo debate was a sports media contrivance. There's more sports media channels than there are sports. Then there are games to talk about. So what do they need to do? They need to manufacture topics for their shows. So I thought this was a manufactured topic until analysts I respect took the other side. That floored me. So I'm going to have another analyst I highly respect on the show today. John Paulson will do a super sporty, cliche sports show segment. Who you got, John? Tony Romo or Dak Prescott? So let's do it. Let's go talk to John Paulson. He's the master of player rankings at 4 for 4. He also co-hosts the Most Accurate Podcast. Follow him at 4 for 4 underscore John on Twitter. 
Welcome to the Roto Underworld program. John Paulson from 4 for 4. He is the master of the player rankings at 4 for 4 and is the number one expert on fantasy pros the last five years. John Paulson, talk to me. Thanks for having me. I'm here. You are here again. You're becoming a friend of the show, and I'm very grateful for that because whenever I see the rankings of, oh, the top experts in fantasy football, your name is always up there in any context. So I'm very grateful that you decided to contribute some of your time because you're very busy during the week. You're impossible to get a hold of, John, Monday through Thursday. We're doing a late-in-the-week show so we could get John on based on his busy schedule. It's worth it. We're having a show a day late. It's worth it. We want John Paulson's information. You saw the game last night. Blake Bortles was great for fantasy football. Awful in real life. I've never seen a wider disparity between a player's fantasy football performance and his real-life performance than what we saw from Blake Bortles last night. Can you remember a larger disparity between fantasy and real life than what we saw from Blake Bortles last night? Well, I'd be lying if I said I watched the game. I actually have a life, and Jaguars versus Titans on a Thursday night um, just didn't uh, cut the mustard for me. Uh, didn't uh, reach that bar of what I'm going to spend a Thursday night watching. I was actually uh, get, hopped on Twitter and I saw everybody was still, it was 33 to eight. Um, and people were still watching the game. And I think everybody was just pretty much just Allen Robinson owners at that point were just kind of waiting for that touchdown, hoping for that touchdown, the garbage time. But I was, I was frankly upset. Uh, I thought I had nailed Blake Bortles projection really well. And then he came on in the late, you know, in the fourth quarter and had the two touchdowns and threw a bunch of yards. And that was a little bit frustrating because he's been pretty terrible all year, all year long. And then was pretty terrible three quarters fantasy wise last night and then turned it on the fourth quarter. We had him as our number 18 quarterback this week. I thought that was a fair ranking based on what he's been doing this year. He hasn't been pushing the ball downfield like he has been in previous years. Something has gotten to him. And those that watched the game said that it's not just mental with him. It's his throwing mechanics. The ball is wobbling. He can't throw a spiral anymore. We might have a Chuck Knobloch situation, a Rick Ankiel situation, where he's mentally short-circuiting to such an extreme place that he can no longer execute the basics of throwing a forward pass. I was looking at his stats today, and um, they're a little rough. Uh, to just just to maybe put it frankly, but he's on pace for 662 pass attempts, which is more than last year. Uh, he had 600 and change last year, so just over 600. Completion percentage is up, Matt. It's up. Oh, I'm aware. It's hard <laughs> to get any lower than what it was in 2015. A 58% completion percentage below 60. With those receivers too, he's got a pretty good set of receivers. I don't think anyone at this point, even the most ardent Jaguars supporters, they're gone. No one's arguing that Blake Bortles is good anymore. 2.2 touchdowns per game last year, 1.7 touchdowns per game this year. That's really where uh, the the receivers are taking the hit. I think that half touchdown per game is, is you know, Robinson. And then you got Marquise Lee sort of um, eating eating some of the pie that he wasn't eating last year 
and that's hurting Robinson and Hearns. And, and Julius Thomas is, is doing fairly well, especially red zone-wise. Yards per attempt is down significantly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of these... Uh, one of these frustrating third seasons from uh, from Blake Bortles. Yeah, last year he was helped by significant yards after the catch from his receivers, and this year they're not getting it. And yards after the catch is harder to predict than air yards. Air yards is more constant, easier to predict, because that's really all about the execution between the quarterback and the wide receiver. When you're looking at yards after the catch, the positioning of the defenders on the field becomes much more of a factor, and therefore it's not a one-for-one equation. There's a lot more randomness impacting Blake Bortles' yards and touchdowns last year than most people imagined, and now we're seeing that regression. The idea that a guy that can't throw for a 60% completion percentage would be trusted in fantasy football was always laughable to me. I was labeled a Bortles hater over the summer because I didn't think he was a QB1 in fantasy, and I've been right up until last night. The Allen Robinson owners are also frustrated because I think we can all agree Allen Robinson in a vacuum is a great receiver. If we were starting a franchise today, he would be one of the first receivers we would want, and yet it's not happening for him. My feeling is if it didn't happen last night, and now we're halfway through the season. Is it ever going to happen? Well, let's pull up his schedule here, see if it gets any easier. And it does that matter because, I don't know, Chicago, Oakland, Tennessee the last three weeks, those are pretty favorable matchups. This was the stretch, John. He was, he was supposed to revert back to the mean yeah. and positively regress during this stretch. Yeah, he's got uh, Kansas City, Houston, that's – Eh, and then uh, Detroit week 11, that's your next uh, great matchup. Well, Darius Slay's not necessarily a great matchup. Maybe for Alan Hearns, that's the thing. Alan Hearns is scoring points because last night Alan Hearns was matched up with Anton Blake. When you have Anton Blake, one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL, you're going to score fantasy points. Alan Hearns over 20 fantasy points last night. Allen Robinson is drawing the number one cornerback, and when you play a team like Indianapolis or Detroit, that's a bummer. Denver, week 13. Oh, God. Minnesota, week 14. Woo! Then we got Houston, 15, which is not that great. <laughs> then he's got Tennessee again, week 16. So it's... it's uh... Good news for Allen Hearns if you're playing Tennessee, not for Allen Robinson. Yeah. Last night was the night. If he had a 200-yard, two-touchdown performance against Tennessee, he would have been in line with his 2015 stat line. He needed just one big performance in Week 8 to get back on track to be 2015 Allen Robinson. But now it's like a rope that's starting to be pulled away from you, and you just can't quite catch up. And now it's starting to slip through your fingers, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Well, if you put it this way, Blake Bortles had 337 passing yards, three touchdowns, and Allen Robinson ended up with six catches for 70 yards on 15 targets. That just that pretty much sums, sums up the, uh, the season. Last year, he was bailing out Bortles, catching some bad throws. There were some bad throws, and he was finding a way to come down with them. But now the throws are so bad. They're in the ground, John. They're six feet over his head. Bortles isn't allowing him to succeed. Chad Henney would be a better option for Allen Robinson. Fair enough. We might see it. Who knows what's going on there with the 
coaching change potentially and uh do they do they try to salvage some wins or do they just uh tank it for for next year oh another tank season for the jaguars that sounds great so glad i'm not a jaguars fan (laughs) there's one glimmer of hope on that offense and that is marquise lee i know marquise lee did nothing last night but in week seven he was their highest scoring wide receiver in fantasy he has the pedigree that Alan Hearns does not. Truly special college receiver Marquise Lee. He battled numerous lower body injuries as a rookie in his second year, but now he's, he's healthy. We had him projected ahead of Alan Hearns this week, and that also was a mistake. Yeah, I'm a Hearns fan, so I went with Hearns. Lee is just not a touchdown guy right now, or it doesn't seem like he is. So that's that's the concern there. Hearns gets a lot of red zone work one thing about the jaguars though if you are want to look on the bright side is that that yeah their yards per play on defense 5.2 that's uh that's actually better than average now they're giving up 196 points which is much higher than average but i'm just trying to look for silver linings here this hey, there team. is a silver lining hey, the defense is improving yay jaguars you're close. You're close. You're not close. You're not close. You're in quarterback purgatory. Yeah. When you whiff on a quarterback with a third overall pick, you're fucked. I mean, you're just fucked for a long, 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 long time. A team with an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position the last 15 years. San Diego Chargers. Mm-hmm. San Diego Chargers drafted Drew Brees. Then they could have drafted Eli Manning, and they said, no, we'll trade with the New York Giants, get an extra pick, and then, I don't know, just pick Phillip Rivers. And then Phillip Rivers has gone on to become a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think now, when you zoom out and you look at the full Phillip Rivers resume, he's a Hall of Famer, and now behind him, you have Melvin Gordon, one of the most prolific running backs in NCAA history, and he's scoring touchdowns at a clip that I haven't seen in a long time. And what matters in fantasy football more than anything, like you said with Alan Hearns, is touchdowns. So Melvin Gordon is a guy that you have to get in your lineup every week. He's a locked-in RB1. He's going to be a locked-in RB1 even this week against the Denver Broncos. But I keep hearing that Melvin Gordon isn't good at football. For some reason, I'm supposed to think that matters. So do you think Melvin Gordon's good at football, and does that even matter? Well, anybody in the NFL is good at football, but I think what you're getting at, is he good for the NFL? Is he a good player in the NFL? I think that's probably your question, yeah. Is Melvin Gordon in the upper 25th percentile of NFL running backs? Uh, He's probably near there, either slightly above it or slightly below it. Uh, It's hard to get excited about the offensive line in San Diego. Um, They really haven't uh, opened up holes uh, even last two or three years on a consistent basis. He's running hard. Uh, it doesn't, but for our purposes in fantasy, it does not matter. Uh, 22.6 touches per game for, for Gordon. Uh, it's all about workload, uh, dependable workload. And once Danny Woodhead went down, uh, rest in peace, Danny. Sorry about that, John. Yeah. Uh, Gordon became uh, the bell cow there. He's, he's doing everything. And uh, you know, he, he's, that's going to continue. He's going to continue to be ranked in the top 10 uh, pretty much every week because you can't, there's not too many guys that have that sort of uh, consistent workload week to week. 
Yeah, you can't bench him against the Denver Broncos. We saw what happened when Jeremy Hill faced the Broncos. Long runs, a big explosive week. He's going to get all the carries. 33 red zone carries. So the Chargers will be in the red zone at times, even though it is the vaunted Broncos defense. The Chargers are also a great offense, and they will be in the red zone, and they will be handing the ball to Melvin Gordon. And odds are he'll score a touchdown. That's just what Melvin Gordon does. 76% opportunity share. That's number five in the league. He is a bell cow back, and he's catching enough passes that I consider him more than just an early down pounder. 20 receptions, three receptions per game. That's 14th in the league, and a 74% catch rate. He's got good hands. I don't think he's running great routes out of the backfield like Theo Riddick, but I think he's adequate enough that we can call him an all-purpose bell cow, and that automatically vaults him into the upper 20th percentile of NFL running backs. And then when you look at his college resume, very few running backs have a better college resume. I feel like fantasy gamers are still holding the Wisconsin offensive line against Melvin Gordon, even though he's doing what he's doing this year. With, like you said, a below-average offensive line, 95.5 offensive line for run-blocking efficiency on playerprofiler.com for the Chargers offensive line. That's 20th in the league. He's an impressive player. I think of Melvin Gordon as a rich man's Jay Ajayi. We talk about running backs that run hard. Jay Ajayi runs incredibly hard. Are you impressed by Jay Ajayi? How could you not be, right? I have to uh, project him for 200 yards this week, I think. I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> He's not even playing. <laughs> Jay Ajayi's so good, he rolls up 200 yards on his bye week. It's one of the biggest stories in terms of fantasy running backs, right? Because coming, yeah. coming into the year, it looked like he was going to be the man. And then they sort of were kind of, you know, Looking at other players, maybe going to draft one, da-da-da-da-da, you know, flirting with Foster. Then they bring him in, and then all the beat writers are like, Foster looks like hands down the best running back at camp. Um, remember that? Remember yeah. that, yeah. And um, then early on, he won the job, and uh, then he got hurt, which was shocking that he got injured, Varian Foster. Uh, now I think it's it's not just Ajayi, uh, his or Jai. I don't know how you pronounce it. I, I go Jai. But Ajayi. Well, he's actually British, so you'd pronounce it Jai Ajai. Ajai. All right, whatever. Ajai. So the offensive line has really gotten healthy. Mike Pouncey's back at center. Um, he had another injury. Albert there was injured for a little while. Now everybody's healthy. It's their, it's their core offensive line. They're starting to open holes for him. They ran really well on the Steelers, which was looking like a, a, a bad rushing matchup. I think the Steelers had been giving up 77 yards or something like that uh, on the ground uh, prior to that game. Rang him up for over 200. Um, so, yeah, looking looking forward with, Foster, uh, with uh, Arian Foster completely out of the way. He's looking real good. We need to change our assumptions of Jay Ajay, John Paulson. Wow, that's quite the quite the British accent. That's like oh, I'm trying to place it. That offensive line's doing quite well. It's almost like a, out of the, like Oliver, like that sort of accent. <laughs> Very multi talented. 
wait, wait. Jay Ajayi comes off the field. Please, sir, can I have some more carries? <laughs> more red zone work, please. I think he's got plenty of red zone work right now. He's getting a ton of red zone work. Jay Ajayi was the only running back other than O.J. Simpson, Earl Campbell, and Ricky Williams to eclipse 200 yards in back-to-back games, and his previous career high was 48 yards. Why? Because offensive line matters. Because while Melvin Gordon is actually good at football even if he wasn't as long as he's getting red zone carries and he's running behind an efficient offensive line like Jay Ajayi is Jay Ajayi then the running back is going to be productive they are very much a cog in a wheel it's a symbiotic relationship the running back and the offensive line and you can argue the offensive line is even more important than the running back's running ability look at Jay Ajayi the coaches did not think that he was in any way special. In training camp, their ideal talent configuration in Miami was Arian Foster on early downs and Kenyon Drake in passing situations and Jay Ajayi getting zero touches. That's what the beat reporters were reporting, and now everything has changed. No more Arian Foster. No more Kenyon Drake. It's just Jay Ajayi and a little bit of Damian Williams. And when Damian Williams gets the ball, what does he do, John? He scores touchdowns. He scores a 12-yard <laughs> touchdown. He scores from the 12. Damian Williams just scored a touchdown from the 12. My face just melted when I saw that. What does all of this tell you? It tells you something is clicking in the right place with that offensive line. I feel like that offensive line is like the bad guys, the cat burglars that pick the locks, and they do the zoom in, and they show you how the lock pieces are fitting together. And just at that moment when all the pieces inside the lock align, and boom, the safe opens. Well, that's what's happened. The safe has opened in Miami in the form of their offensive line. Why? Because four of the five offensive linemen are first-round picks. And not merely first-round picks, top 20 overall picks. Brandon Albert, round one, pick 15. Laramie Tunsil, round one, pick 13. Jawan James, round one, pick 19. Mike Pouncey, round one, pick 15. Mike Pouncey is the highest-drafted center in NFL draft history. That's why Jay Ajayi is doing so well. It's not that he's this Earl Campbell, O.J. Simpson, Ricky Williams level talent. No, it's that their offensive line is one of the best in football, maybe the best in football behind only the Dallas Cowboys and the Tennessee Titans. How do I know this? Because the offensive line run blocking efficiency grade on playerprofiler.com for the Miami Dolphins has been a rocket ship over the last couple weeks. That unit was in the bottom 10 in run-blocking efficiency in just a couple weeks. Boom! 107.4, 12th in the league. And as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be top five very soon. So we need to change all our projection models soon. We have to be nimble and recalibrate our Miami Dolphins rushing projections based on 
this offensive line. And it's not just that the offensive line has draft capital and elite pedigrees. They're all huge. Brandon Albert, Laramie Tunsil, Jawan James, and Jerome Bushrod are all tackles, John. They're over 320 pounds. The Dolphins have decided to only play run blockers on their offensive line. They're mauling people with four tackles and Mike Pouncey. When you play four jumbo tackles and Mike Pouncey, you're going to run people over and your running back, whether he's Jay Ajayi or Damian Williams, is going to roll up 200 plus yards. This is a completely new reality from what we've been used to, the Miami Dolphins having a bad offensive line. Yeah, I'd just like to look ahead at their schedule too. Is this, a, is this a guy you want to go out and spend a premium pick on? Do you want to trade away an elite receiver? I was just talking for five minutes, and you didn't have enough time to pull the schedule up? I just thought I just thought of it at the end there. Jets, Chargers, Rams, 49ers, Ravens, Cardinals, Jets, Bills. It's kind of a hit or miss, but I think he'll be fine. There's a couple of great matchups there. Week 10, week 12. Oof. Well, the San Francisco matchup is incredible. Yeah. They've been allowing more rushing production to NFL running backs than any rush defense since the early 80s, I believe. So, yes, Jay Ajayi against San Francisco, that's going to be 300 yards. But a lot of those teams you named, those are stout run defenses. Mm -hmm. They are. Baltimore, Arizona, the New York Jets, all stout run defenses. I don't love the schedule, but what I am going to do is play him in DFS when the price is right. Mm -hmm. And there may be someone who wants to sell high. And I'm fine with that. I don't like to sell high. If I'm a Jay Ajayi owner, I'm not selling him. You hold. Why would you sell him now? Just enjoy him. If anything, you're going to buy high. You're going to see if someone's willing to give you Jay Ajayi and you give them back a name brand asset that they still feel has more value than it actually does. That's the move. I would agree. I think he's, uh, I don't know if anybody stock has risen as much as Jay Ajayi in the last two weeks. So 418 yards, three touchdowns. Name brand is the big part, right? Right. So if you've soured on Todd Gurley, yeah. trade him. It's fine. As long as you're getting a Jay Ajayi back in the trade, that's a win-win. When you, when you just do dead air on me after these <laughs> accents, it pierces my soul, John. It pierces my soul. Do you know what's disappointing for me? What's that? Looking at the Arizona Cardinals schedule and seeing that David Johnson does not play the San Francisco 49ers during the fantasy mm. playoffs. That would be nice. I thought for sure he would be. I thought probabilities yeah. he would play him. He would that David Johnson would play the 49ers in either week 13, 14, 15, or 16. That's not what the schedule is telling me. Other running backs have been super lucky with their schedule. Jaquiz Rogers gets to face the San Francisco 49ers. I owned Charles Sims in every league because I'm a zero RB guy, and that he was robbed of the ability to roll up 200 yards against San Francisco pains me. But on the other side of it, I do like Jaquiz Rogers. I've always liked Jaquiz Rogers. 
it's not believable, right? The, the fact that I'm saying this to you and I'm speaking the words doesn't mean they're true. Like, how the hell could Matt Kelly say with a straight face, I've always liked Jaquiz Rogers. You know, I've always liked that Jaquiz Rogers fellow. But, <laughs> but, but it's true. I do. I've always had an affinity for Jaquiz Rogers. In fact, when I first entered the fantasy analysis business... It was through a contest on Grantland called Fantasy Island. Do you remember this? Uh, vaguely. They were going to hire a fantasy analyst. Yes, I do remember. To yeah. write full time for Grantland, which was mind blowing to everybody. And they ran a contest and they wanted to make it like a reality show where you would write an article and then the fans would vote among the 20 contestants that were down selected. I was not down selected, partly because. My submission to the contest was regarding Jaquiz Rogers. They asked for one sleeper and who your number one player overall should be that year. My sleeper was Jaquiz Rogers, and I came up with a nickname in the article, called him Jack Pop, dying to get this nickname off the ground for Jaquiz Rogers. Jack Pop, you get it? Like Jack in the Box and Pop Quiz, right? A Pop Quiz. So you go Jack Pop. Mm -hmm. Pop, because he's a running back that kind of pops, because he's got a little bit of burst, even though he really doesn't. Once I launched playerprofiler.com, and I looked up Jaquiz Rogers, and I plugged in the burst score, I was like, oh no, he's not a jackpot at all! But fortunately, the people at Grantland didn't have Player Profiler at that time. They just didn't like my writing style overall. I also had Rob Gronkowski as my number one overall player, which I'm sure hurt my credibility. That Jaquiz Rogers game against San Francisco reminded me of the Thomas Rawls San Francisco game from 2015, where Rawls had 255 yards and two touchdowns. And then over the summer, I talked about how Thomas Rawls is grossly overrated, that he was just a guy thrust into a great situation. And John, the comments on YouTube on that particular video from the Seattle fan base in particular. Mm -hmm. These people hated my guts. And now I'm looking at the video going, where are all the comments for the people coming back to me and saying, I'm sorry that I called you the N word on your YouTube channel. Where are these people? No one's coming back and saying they're sorry, but you know what has happened on YouTube? I've somehow deputized a handful of white knights and they will now jump into these internet comments and these internet comment boards on YouTube are just the wild west of social media. You don't want to go in there. It's like a saloon with a bunch of bad guys that are drunk. You don't want any part of that. But I now mm -hmm. have some white knights, the sheriffs that are kicking in the doors and they're going into these YouTube pages and they are setting all of these YouTube commenters straight with advanced metrics. They're full-blown supporters of the show, and they've taken to YouTube to tame the drunk cowboys in the saloon, and I am so grateful for that. Well, that's great. Uh, it sounds like a little bit like you're Jesus, and you have the 12 disciples, and, and they're going out there and doing your good work for you. That's That's fantastic. I mean... YouTube comments. I mean, that's a cesspool. I don't spend a lot of time there. I hope that all of our four for four videos don't have the comments turned on because uh, it's just it's just a waste of time. So I try not to. You know, you don't you don't get the guys coming back to apologize very often when they're wrong. 
you get the guys when you make 50 calls in a week and somebody calls you out on it and they happen to be right. You'll hear it all over, you know, you hear it on Twitter, um, how, how wrong you were. But when, when you're the one that's right, that person doesn't talk to you for three or four weeks. He tries to lay low. Um, but I save all the tweets. So I, I know I, I, I'm watching. I'm always watching. They love to play the result. They won't say we're wrong before the game happens. Oh, no, you can't do that. But after the game happens, after we have the information and we can cherry pick the most wrong call, oh, that's when we feel free to do that on Monday. Thank you, everyone, for that. Those are really helpful comments for us. The other player that I was very vocal about, his overratedness, was Matt Jones. And Matt Jones loves to prove me very wrong some weeks. And then prove me very right in other weeks. We've been looking at game logs and schedules. Go ahead and pull up the Matt Jones game log. That is a volatile running back if I've ever seen one. So you never know what you're getting from Matt Jones. Has he been one of the harder running backs to project for you? Yeah, I've I've been low on him um, for the most part. And that's bit me a couple times. But he just doesn't. uh, He hasn't. I mean, then he had a couple of good games and I got high on him. And guess what? He fumbled, and Chris Thompson took over, and that that bit me in my rankings. So uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a real big fan of of him in terms of uh, his consistency. Uh, and it looks like he's out this week, so we won't have to watch him. That's what I want to talk to you about, because the running theme throughout this show is how much does running back talent actually matter when you look at Rob Kelly. No one would argue that this is an overwhelming running back talent. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Matt Asiata. He runs a 4-7-3-40. But Washington has a relatively prolific offense. They visit the red zone often. And if Rob Kelly is getting carries in the red zone, do we care about anything else, John? Well, I just want to point out a player profiler. He's got a one percentile spark score so Oof. that's just i just wanted to mention that you don't see that every day uh i think <laughs> you really don't you don't see it every day you know you usually you see something higher than one <laughs> most of the guys with the one percentile spark score are no longer on rosters yeah so uh kelly i have ranked right now 26th in standard i have thompson at 25th I, i'm looking at their touches, I have about 15 for Kelly, uh, 10 or 11 for Thompson. I kind of think that Thompson will end up with more um, than that, but it's more of a yards per carry thing, kind of back into the touches deal for the way our system works in terms of our projections. But certainly with Kelly, uh, they, they're saying he's going to be the lead back. They're saying uh, they don't want to uh, burden Thompson too much in terms of the workload. Cause he's a smaller guy. He has an important role in third down. They don't see him as an every down player. So, so Kelly comes in first and second down does his three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, but he, in that game against Cincy, they're sort of mediocre against the run. Uh, there's definitely going to be a goal line carry, not definitely, but probably going to be a, do- a goal line carry available to him. Maybe two, um, and uh, can punch it in. Certainly standard, I think he has more value than, than, than PPR because that's pretty much Thompson's role. Chris Thompson, 5'7", 192, and he's never been the primary back in his entire career going all the way back to Florida State, so he's not going to be the main guy, the between-the-tackles guy, 
who's going to dominate the carries at the very least is going to be Rob Kelly. So yeah, it makes sense that in PPR, he's not going to be a top 24 play, but he's going to be very flexible in all formats. Now you mentioned the mechanics behind your rankings process. And on the Fantasyland podcast, you were interviewed, you talked a little bit about your process, and it's what you talked about just now, where you build projections from the ground up. You talked about deconstructing player performances and distilling down each player to their parts, their touches, and their efficiency, and then building it up based on your assumptions for that particular game, the game flow assumptions, the total points scored assumptions, And you can build an accurate projection using that method. And I think that was very enlightening for a lot of people that heard you talk about it on the Fantasyland podcast. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? You kind of, you summed it up pretty well. Uh, And that gets me to a baseline. um, And then it's, and then it's about looking at the rankings for that week. Does, does somebody feel high? Does somebody feel low? Is it, has a running back outperformed my, maybe my preseason expectation in terms of his share of the yards or share of the catches? Um, and, and is that about to regress in my mind? Um, is he, is the matchup that he's has that week? Is it particularly bad or particularly good? Are they susceptible to, uh, uh allowing, uh, receiving yards by running backs? Uh, you know, is it, is it a situation where he's going from tough matchups to, to, to better matchups because uh, that's that's a big deal too if you have the, you know if you have six tough matchups in a row and then all of a sudden your schedule lightens up that's an obvious uh, uh, signal that, that that player is about to uh, you know outperform what he's done that year so far uh, so you look at all that and then you're also looking at injuries and I just I do want to mention Chris Raybon's uh, injury article because it was one of the best articles uh, that came out this year it's called the effects of injuries on weekly NFL fantasy football player performance uh, and he basically he went through, and I don't know how he did this, but he went through and gathered all this injury information uh, from the past several years, and then saw uh, you know how each injury affects each position in terms of a an adjustment to their fancy points uh, compared to what they did when they were healthy. And it's helped me, you know, if I if I'm looking and I see Julio's got a calf, and I'm like, well, what does uh you know what's the calf injury mean to a receiver? Uh, I can go to his article and I can see that on average, 23% decline in points per, points per game for, for wide receivers with calf injuries that week. So I, I might downgrade him a little bit if it, if it feels right. Um, and then there might be an injury that I go look up and it's only a 2% difference and it's really no big deal. So that's sort of, that's the, to this year, it's uh, added to my list of things to do uh, when I'm finalizing those rankings. And you also mentioned that you like to do a schedule adjustment when you're looking at a player's performance up to this point and then layering that on top of his projected touches, you do like to schedule adjust and that way you do a double schedule adjustment. You have a backward looking schedule adjustment and then you have a forward looking schedule adjustment looking at his matchup and in that way you're accounting for all the ways that opponents could affect that player. Yeah, if you if you are dealing with a, a substandard player, so let's look at not substandard. Let's say a disappointing player like DeAndre Hopkins. So we have this metric called fancy uh, or adjusted fancy points allowed um, to each position, and we 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 don't have it at this point to where it's wide wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, but we do have it for for all wide receivers. So you look at DeAndre Hopkins. If you go to our site, weeks five through seven, he played Minnesota. 
uh, Indianapolis and Denver. And Indianapolis is actually a tough matchup for receivers. So those are three pretty tough matchups in a row. Um, then he has Detroit this week. So what do you do with him? He's their 27th. But as you mentioned, Darius Slay is there. He's going to be a bit of a headache for, for Hopkins. But coming out of the bye, Jacksonville, Oakland, Green Bay in week 13, um, things look easier for him. Uh, so that would be, in terms of a trade, I'd be looking, okay, yeah, I might, I might buy into Hopkins. He's very cheap right now compared to his preseason price. Uh, in terms of my projection, uh, I'm certainly looking at, okay, he's been disappointing the last three weeks. He did get the garbage touchdown against Minneapolis, or Minnesota. Um, what's he going to do against Detroit? There is going to be quite a few points scored in this Detroit game. I am more optimistic than I obviously were was with him against Denver. Um, so I think he gets off a little bit, but it may not be as, as much uh, because of Slay. So that's the third level is looking at his cornerback matchup. Is this a player that uh, – that uh, travels and and shadows a play, uh, the number one opponent's number one receiver, or is it somebody that just sticks to a side? Can they uh, can they avoid uh, the the shutdown cornerback, uh, so to speak, or is it, is this guy going to travel with them? That that all kind of gets baked into the to the ranking at the end of the day. We're doing significant schedule analysis today. I was looking at Tyrell Williams' schedule for the fantasy playoffs. Woof! Have you seen this? Uh, have I seen this? Week 13, Tampa Bay. Week 14, Carolina. Week 15, Oakland. Week 16, Cleveland. Oh, my God! And that's for Phillip Rivers, too! Yeah, to put that in our in our numbers, 16th, uh, Tampa Bay's 16th and adjusted fantasy points allowed receivers. Carolina's 21st. I think it just gets better. Oakland, oh. 26th. And then Cleveland is dead last and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. So that's certainly good. These are leaky secondaries, high-scoring games. Buy high on Tyrell Williams. Buy low, sell high is out. Buy high, sell low is in. A guy that you can sell low on is Lamar Miller because you just mentioned injuries. Lamar Miller has been shockingly healthy his entire career. Name a Lamar Miller injury back through time. Shoulder injury this year. I know, but be before the shoulder injury. <laughs> you got me. Okay, the shoulder. But you can't. You can't even think of one off the top of your head, off the top of the dome. We can't even think of one. And he's been in the league for five years. So a hurt Lamar Miller, who's already struggled to score touchdowns this year, is a sell-low candidate. And what was the criticism of Lamar Miller when he was in Miami? Can't shoulder the full load. Fake bell cow. It looks like he's not up for the task in Houston. Do you agree? No, I don't agree. I think he's fine. He's, he plays this week, plays through the shoulder injury. I think he's showing some toughness. He's got the bye week to get healed, week nine. Uh, and then the schedule after the bye is it's friendly. Jacksonville, Oakland, San Diego, Indianapolis, Jacksonville again, Cincinnati in week 16. The only tough matchup really is Green Bay week 13. It's before the fantasy playoffs. I, I'm a Lamar Miller fan. I love the workload. I think they'll get that straightened out with the touchdowns. He'll, get it. He'll end up getting his share. So he's the anti-Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon has received an inordinate number of touchdowns, similar to Carlos Hyde this year unsustainable touchdown numbers based on their number of touches. Lamar Miller, the other side of the spectrum. 
he has touchdowns coming to him is what you're saying and the schedule will help a lot we actually have lamar miller ranked outside the top 10 this week would you like to do a prop bet Uh, i suppose it depends on the prop bet lamar miller top 10 running back this week well i think it's always a uh good bet to bet that somebody doesn't finish in the top 10 so you want to give me odds give me odds on that no you know about that prop bet trick with the top 10 thing yeah of course i know about that yeah you know about it all right never mind moving on we're gonna i was gonna do a fun i ruined it it's very savvy that you know that you're you're more likely than not to finish outside the top 10 generally speaking (laughs) moving on we disagree we disagree and that's okay that's okay i think lamar miller's a fake bell cow john paulson thinks he's a a true actual bell cow what about quarterell patterson is he for real uh if you mean does he exist on this plane of existence he does he is he is here uh i do believe that he exists and is it a real human being um whether or not he's so the question with him is is he now a post-hype sleeper yes that's the question right so yes uh there, the, the opportunity is there because you have Stefan Diggs, and you have a, a decent uh, slot receiver, Adam Thielen. Uh, Charles Johnson has not nope. uh, taken over that second receiver, outside receiver role, and you have Patterson, who has a lot of physical skill and was once a fourth, fifth round fantasy pick. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you want to look back, if you remember that far. I wasn't drafting him in the fourth and fifth round two years ago, but people were, and they know who they are, so they can eat it. (laughs) So you know who you are. You just sit there and reflect on that awful pick that you made two years ago. I'm not going to call you out. Just sit there and reflect on it. I think he's here. I think he's here. I think we're watching a breakout happen. He does have impressive measurables. But they're more Robert Meacham, Dante Moncrief level measurables than they are Demarius Thomas, Julio Jones, if you know what I mean. I mean, the things that I like about it, looking at his game log, six targets three weeks ago, six targets against Houston the following week, seven targets against Philly. So he's getting consistent work in the offense. He's also getting a couple carries. Now you have Jarek McKinnon uh, with this ankle boot thing going on. Are they going to just feed the ball to Matt Asiata and get, you know, have fourth and one every, um, every series or what are they going to do? <laughs> so they got Patterson um, with 60, 61% of the snaps in week five, 67% of the snaps in week seven. That's with digs back. That's right. Then 75% of the snaps last week. I'm excited. Okay. Uh, so I have him in the, I mean, I haven't ranked in the forties. I think he has, he's got a concussion this week though. So that's an issue. So pay attention to that. But uh, I think if he were healthy, he'd be a high 40s guy for me. So it's kind of a boom bust, uh, hard to trust him type of a play. But if you look at the matchups coming up, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, Arizona, Detroit, again, uh, Dallas, Jacksonville. So a lot of mediocre to bad pass defenses coming up. Everybody gets well when they face Detroit's passing defense. When you look at Stephon Diggs, we talked about how injuries affect performance. I think if you went back and look at Chris Raybon's data, you'll find that groin injuries do significantly impact all player performances, whether it's the tight end, the running back, the wide receiver. Just scrolling through the instances of groin injuries back through time in my mind, 
a number of them did impact player performance. So I like Cordell Patterson because I am legitimately concerned that this groin injury will resurface and continue to nag Stephon Diggs because he hasn't been good since week two. And I'm not worried about Adam Thielen cannibalizing targets from Cordell Patterson. It's not going to happen when you compare athleticisms. Woof! Big difference. Cordell Patterson, you mentioned the carries, and that was a savvy observation because I believe Cordell Patterson is a pumped-up version of Tavon Austin. If Tavon Austin were 20 pounds heavier and three inches taller, oh. he'd be Cordell Patterson. I hadn't made that connection. So congratulations. Well, it's a hot take. <laughs> I'm surprised you hadn't heard it before. I, I thought that I had cross-pollinated that hot take across so many platforms that it might have come across your desk at some point, but clearly I need to do a better job of marketing my hot takes. Moving on. Another size speed phenom, Terrell Pryor. How much does the presence of Josh McCown enhance Terrell Pryor's projection for you in week eight? Well, he was targeted uh, 10 times by McCown in the one the one start that McCown had, so that's good. But That's right. They only connected three times, which is not as good. Uh, I think McCown is definitely a better NFL quarterback than Cody Kessler right now. Uh, generally speaking, I think it's good for the whole offense. I specifically think it's good for Gary Barnage and Duke Johnson, whose splits with, with McCown last year were uh, significantly better than without. Uh, that didn't really show up uh, in that one start. Uh, Duke Johnson had four catches for 44 yards. Uh, Barnage didn't do much that game, so I don't, you know, I don't feel quite as confident that Barnage is going to explode. Um, but certainly, prior, you know, if you if you take a quarterback out and put a quarterback in who's better and also targeted him 10 times last game, he's looking his way. Uh, it's, it's got to be a good thing for him. I think the question with him is the hamstring. When you look at Duke Johnson and you look at Gary Barnage, both are incredible values this week on DraftKings, a full PPR DFS format. Playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup. That's our DFS lineup genius. And Terrell Pryor, Duke Johnson, and Gary Barnage show up frequently in our best GPP lineups this week. Now, Corey Coleman is probably not going to return this week, but he'll likely return next week. Who's better, Corey Coleman or Terrell Pryor? Well, Coleman really got off to a good start. Uh, 173 yards and two his first two games, which uh, and two touchdowns. So, uh, for a rookie, that's that's not bad. Uh, so, I think they're two different players. Um, Pryor is obviously the bigger, more athletic, uh, speedy guy. Uh, I think Coleman's got good physical skills as well. Uh, it's just kind of smaller. Uh, maybe his route tree isn't, uh, I don't know that either one of them is a terrific route runner, uh, but it does, doesn't matter. Uh, I think both of them, I think they'll be close in my rankings, at least for a couple of weeks to see what they're going to do with them because uh, uh, Coleman was extremely involved in those first two weeks. So I think you get to assume that he'll be pretty involved when he comes back. The, the concern is, that first game back, I think people tend to overrank players who have been out for four or six weeks. It's hard to get back into the flow that quickly. So if it's a one or two week absence, no big deal. But if you start talking a month, month and a half, uh, I don't. I'm reluctant to use players coming off of that kind of layoff. Are you in the Scott Fish Bowl? I am. I'm doing horribly this year. Yes, I am. 
I went zero RB. I'm doing very well. I sounded like Donald Trump right there. <laughs> I made all the best picks. <laughs> well, we went to zero RB. We're doing very well. And I didn't draft a quarterback until very late. Tony Romo. Whoops. Mm-hmm. So I've only been starting one quarterback, Brian Hoyer. Then he went down. And then fortunately, I was able to pick up two quarterbacks this week. Josh McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm. So I have both quarterbacks that are starting against each other in the puke bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see if Josh McCown can stay healthy and take advantage of Corey Coleman on one side of the field, Terrell Pryor on the other, Gary Barnage going down the seam, Duke Johnson leaking out of the backfield. This is an exciting receiving core if all their pieces are in place. It would be good if McCown could get through the game. Uh, that would be nice. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think if you're talking DFS, that's a very those guys you mentioned are very interesting. It's a very interesting stack this week because you could you could run Barnage, Duke Johnson, and Terrell Pryor out there with McCown and probably be able to max out most of your other spots in terms of costs. So, actually, on some platforms, you don't even need to start McCown if you just start Barnage and Duke Johnson and Terrell Pryor. You can also start. Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers. It's incredible. Another player that shows up often in our optimal GPP lineups is Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, John. All right. Devontae Adams. Just right now, just everyone in the Roto Underworld audience, just wherever you are, wherever you are, doesn't matter if there's people around or not, just right now, <laughs> give John Paulson a round of applause. John, 14 months later, your Devontae Adams prediction has finally come true. It happened. It happened um, eventually. So for those of you that didn't listen to my first appearance, Matt, um, he, he bloodied his hand, I think, and was extremely angry that I didn't feel like Jeff Janis was going to be the direct replacement for Jordy Nelson. Is that a fair is that a fair description of what happened, Matt? I was disappointed. I was quietly hopeful, <laughs> and you were pretty insistent that it was going to be Devontae Adams, that Devontae Adams was a top 20 wide receiver in 2015, and mm-hmm. I was upset. And I smashed my mouse with my hand, and it just it hit the edge of the mouse. And yeah, cut my hand wide open. Is that the only time you've bloodied your uh, body part during a podcast, or is this a regular occurrence? In my history playing and analyzing fantasy football, that's the only time blood has been shed. Congratulations there, too. You did it! You got to me! You got to me! You made me bleed! Yeah! So Devontae last year was a disappointment. I, I really? fully own my high ranking of him. Yeah, he last year, yeah, he was really terrible. I can't believe that you're surprised by that statement. He had a lot of drops. He was pretty terrible, like really pretty terrible. The one thing I looked at going into this year, though, is that they stuck with him. Aaron Rodgers loves him. I, I guess you think Aaron Rodgers. I was told on Twitter that you think Aaron Rodgers is a fool or something. What was, it, what was the punk? What was the word Douche. the guy used? Douche. Sorry. Okay. I just think he's a douche because he thinks that he's 
better and smarter than everyone around him, and the shtick is getting old. Okay. Well, he is better and smarter than people around him, uh, generally speaking, unless he's playing Tom Brady, right? It's just the way he carries himself, the way he belittles Jeff Janis in front of the press. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's all about Jeff Janis. It all comes back. It all comes back to that. Of course it does. If we're on the couch, right? We're on the couch. You're the psychiatrist. Of course, the roots of everything is Jeff Janis. So would you say that Devontae Adams has played pretty well this year? Would you say he's a good NFL receiver? I've pivoted 100% on Devontae Adams. Oh, you, you like him now? I was advocating trading for Devontae Adams a couple weeks ago when I had Rich Rebar on the show. So I was pleasantly surprised to see Devontae Adams have a 20-plus point week. I thought it was just a matter of time because Jordy Nelson has been a touchdown-dependent wide receiver. It's really been Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams that have been commanding the target share and... I think that's going to continue for the rest of the year. I think it's going to be an even distribution of targets across Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Devontae Adams. I think he's here to stay. I think he's for real. Awesome. If this was a normal Packer offense where you have Eddie Lacy, uh, James Stark's healthy, I think you, you, Devontae Adams would be sort of the James Jones, uh, maybe James Jones plus because Jordy's not quite Jordy uh, anymore, uh, or at least he isn't right. now. It doesn't mean he won't be, uh, but right now he's not. So, You know Jordy Nelson signed a new shoe deal, right? I didn't know that. With Peterson brick and mortar. Oh. <laughs> wow. Uh, His shoes are bricks, right? You get it? How many times have you told that joke in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> I do. You're right. I do reuse a lot of my material. You're right. You're right. Uh, so I think he'd be, he'd be really sort of dicey because James Jones, if you remember, uh, would have some good weeks and then he'd, he'd disappear and then he'd have some good weeks and everybody get excited again and then he'd disappear. Uh, Cobb is more the, the more consistent targeted, consistently targeted receiver, Jordy, obviously. But this year, if they're going to go pass heavy like they did against Chicago where they 50, 55 pass attempts, and I don't know if this is going to continue or if it's not going to continue. But if they do, then you're going to have a ton of volume in this offense from a great quarterback who's not a douche. And he's going to, fantasy-wise, everybody will be pretty good. Everybody will be starter worthy. There's going to be some duds here and there. But they're going to, if there's a dud, that means the other two guys are blowing up. And you also have Ty Montgomery um, catching some passes as well as out of the backfield. So if they go pass heavy, Devontae should be fine. Do you think Ty Montgomery is better deployed as a running back than a receiver? I think it's... Uh, I think it's debatable. I mean, if you watched him against Chicago, and it was Chicago, so you got everything's got to be looked through the the Bears' lens, right? Uh, defensively, right. but Montgomery broke a couple tackles. Uh, he ran through a, a Red Sea parted uh, block uh, type uh, through the line there, where he ran for like a twenty something yard gain up the middle. He looks kind of like he could be a running back. Uh, in this sort of offensive scheme where it's West Coast and it's, you know, you, you're going to ask your receiver or you're asking your running back to catch a lot of passes. He's going to be great at that. Uh, can they get enough running uh, rush attempts from Montgomery and Cobb and maybe uh, Niall Davis or a Don Jackson? Um, I, I don't, I, I think in the short term, they're going to try this because it looked good against Chicago and they'll, they'll see how it, how it sort of proceeds. Ty Montgomery is Theo Riddick 2.0. I, I, I'm fine with that. 
He really is. He absolutely is. Not an NFL caliber receiver, an above average NFL running back, and an exceptional NFL satellite back. He's nifty. He's incredibly nifty. It's amazing how different Ty Montgomery looks when he's catching the ball in space out of the backfield than when you try to deploy him as a receiver, where he was completely underwhelming. Speaking of underwhelming, I'm an underwhelming basketball player. I was trying to think back. Times have been bloodied. Uh Getting a bloody nose. I think that's the last time I've been bloodied, but that was not in the context of fantasy sports. You were a former college basketball player. So if I describe my game as scrappy, I don't have a great outside shot. I can't really jump that well, but I'm scrappy. And I made it as high as freshman basketball in high school before I was weeded out of the system. Given that that's my pedigree, Mm -hmm. to what extent would you destroy me on the basketball court? Well, the way you describe yourself, that describes many of the players that would cover me in high school. I would generally get the scrappy defensive uh, specialist who was sent out there to annoy me, to dry hunt me in the post uh, to sweat all over me with really, really sweaty forearms and arms. Uh, so I get very sweaty. Once I realized that that was going to happen on a nightly basis, I, I sort of put that out of my mind. And uh, I well, I averaged twenty five a game in high school, but I had a. Woo! If we're gonna if we're gonna talk about my high school career, I don't know why we're talking about my high school career. You brought up college basketball, so that's a whole other situation. I want to talk about John Paulson, the basketball player, for a moment because I have no reference point for being that good at a particular sport. All right. Well, I, just to just to, I, I told my son this, and he was my his mind was blown when I told him this. But I scored ninety points in two games in a week. Woo! I had forty nine on Friday, at forty one on Tuesday, and he was pretty impressed because you know he's a big Steph Curry fan, and that's the type of I had to explain to him that it was high school, so it's not the NBA. It's so. a, it's definitely a different level. And I was playing against like you know I was six seven. I was playing you know, I had six foot you know five eleven. Uh, white guys, sweaty white guys, uh, trying to jump in my jock. You're six uh, seven. Well, I'm six eight now. But oh, I'm six, seven times, holy so. shit! I feel so, yeah, like so. everyone in fantasy football is five nine and unathletic, and you are just a completely different species. I am definitely in a bell curve. I'm height wise. I'm definitely off, way off to the right in terms of inches. <sighs> So, wow. Yeah. Six foot eight. It's, it's not, it's not the, I, I don't like it when I have to get on a plane, uh, when I have to go through a low doorway, that's when it's not being good. You know, it's not good to be tall, but otherwise it's pretty good. I've fantasized before, about what it's like to be tall and just automatically respected wherever you go. The gravitas that comes with being six foot seven, six foot eight. Oh my God. I would love that. Anyway. I was just going to say, I was once at a concert with my wife and two very drunk girls, said very loudly, can you imagine effing that pointing at me as if I was a, a giant object to be effed? John Paulson objectified <laughs> in public by fawning women. That is who we're talking to today on the Roto Underworld radio program. Last question, I'll get you out of here. A quarterback who's actually shorter than people think, Tony Romo, 
Do you think that he will be installed as the starter once he's cleared to play, or will the Dallas Cowboys stick with Dak Prescott? I think they stick with Dak Prescott until... What? He hits a rough stretch. You really think that? Yes. Why? Why would they do that? Tony Romo is 2-4 and four in the playoffs. He's never been to a Super Bowl. What has he done that deserves uh, to, oh to bench this wonderful God. rookie, uh, Russell Wilson-esque rookie, who's tearing it up right now? Wait a second. Is this your, is this your Scott Fishbowl team? Like reacting to my to the news that you really need Romo back and he's not he's probably not going to be back. Or you make a couple great points. First of all, if fantasy analysts want to be truly unbiased, they should not join any fantasy leagues. They should not have a rooting interest in any player. The fact that I own Tony Romo in the Scott Fishbowl absolutely <laughs> creates a very clear bias. In my analysis. So I agree with you 100%. So you've diagnosed the bias very quickly in my argument. But Tony Romo was on a Hall of Fame trajectory like Philip Rivers, a prolific passer who was also incredibly careful with the football. <laughs> Huge yardage totals, touchdown totals, low interception totals, 149 career starts. Dak Prescott, six career starts. I mean, I respect your opinion. You know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I'm talking to Skip Bayless. <laughs> wow. Boy, we were, we were doing well. And then you compare me to Skip Bayless. Wow. Because I only say that because Skip Bayless went many steps further by saying that Dak Prescott is the NFL MVP up until this point in the season, which is patently absurd. Yeah. That's a very Skip thing to say, but... I still am shocked. It seems like I'm the only one that believes that Tony Romo is the better quarterback at this point. I'm blown away by the number of people that believe Dak Prescott is a better option for the Cowboys. Well, I think you don't I don't think you stick with Dak if he has like two, three bad games and they start losing. I, I or even if they don't, like if he's just not looking sharp anymore and it looks like defenses have figured him out, then certainly you go back to Romo. But I don't think Romo is like as good as what you're I mean, I think he's a good NFL quarterback. I think he's top twelve at this point. But you know, he's missed quite a bit of time here. He's not terribly durable. He's got the back thing going on. He's both his collarbones are made of glass uh so i it's not like i just would install him back and and say it's now your team again and here you go i think you need to see some struggles out of prescott before you make that switch and that may happen i mean he is a rookie quarterback it's kind of unheard of for for him to take a team a playoff team too far um but that's sort of where i'm at with it but so your argument is that the Cowboys are destined to make the playoffs given their record and they can afford to lose a game that they would have won otherwise with Tony Romo, and then reassess and potentially insert Tony Romo into the starting lineup if Dak Prescott struggles for a game or two. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to see some regression. I mean, Dak Prescott has played very well. He's, he does well with the, what he's got there. He's won f five games with no Dez. Um, so what? why fix what's not broken at this point? I just believe we often confuse cause and effect. We want the quarterback to be the reason for the winning and the success mm -hmm. when so often it's the supporting cast that is propping up a quarterback or 
making it impossible for that quarterback to have success if Dak Prescott were on the Colts and Andrew Luck were on the Cowboys, I think Andrew Luck would be by far and away the most prolific and efficient passer in the NFL, and Dak Prescott would probably be injured by now. That's entirely possible. I mean, you're talking about, uh, this is the Dick Cheney where he doesn't deal on hypotheticals. He won't answer hypothetical questions. How are you so savvy at this? I've been throwing all these tricks at you. I gave you the unfalsifiable hypothetical. Before that, (laughs) I tried to trap you into betting on a top 10 performance. Get get out of here, Paulson. Just get get out of here. The show's over. 68.7% 68.7% completion percentage, 8.2 That's yards That's enough. I don't want to hear any more stats. Seven touchdowns. Get out of one here. You win. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'd be lying if I said I watched the game. I actually have a life. But I now have some white knights, the sheriffs that are kicking in the doors, and they're going into these YouTube pages, and they are setting all of these YouTube commenters straight with advanced metrics. They're full-blown supporters of the show, and they've taken to YouTube to tame the drunk cowboys in the saloon, and I am so grateful for that. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. I hadn't made that connection, so congratulations. It looks like he's not up for the task in Houston. Do you agree? No. Sweat all over me with really, really sweaty forearms and arms. I had one of those moments where I felt really alive today. Like you exist? So I was cutting a big limb off a tree, and it went the wrong direction, and it got hung up on an electrical line for, like, you know, five seconds... I was just panicking. I, the nerve endings in my body that I forgot existed, you know, because I don't really play sports anymore and you know, just don't really feel that nervous about anything, right? High anxiety moments just don't really happen anymore. I'm sorry, fantasy football doesn't do it for me in that way. I'm sorry, everybody. But man, yeah, thinking like you might get electrocuted. Whoa, that was cool. But you're okay. Oh, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm great. Please, sir, can I have some more carries? How many times have you told that joke in the last couple of weeks? He thinks that he's better and smarter than everyone around him, and the shtick is getting old. Okay. Yeah, I make sure I tell everybody that I'm very busy during the week constantly so that everybody leaves me alone. Okay. Drunk cowboys in the saloon, and I am so grateful for that. Well, that's great. Okay. Can you imagine effing that pointing at me as if I was a, a giant object to be effed? Please, sir, can I have some more carries? I hadn't made that connection, so congratulations. Well, I'd be lying if I said I watched the game. I actually have a life. Week 13, Tampa Bay. Week 14, Carolina. Week 15, Oakland. Week 16, Cleveland. Oh my God! This is an exciting receiving core if all their pieces are in place. It would be good if McCown could get through the game. Uh, That would be nice. I hadn't made that connection, 
So congratulations. Congratulations there, too. You did it. You got to me. You got to me. You made me bleed. Yeah. Well, that's great.